Hey everybody, it's Wade, and you are listening to the ROA Remix. Uh, this one's this one's a big one. This is one that I was feeling kind of daunted for. Duet, probably one of the greatest Star Trek episodes ever made. I have a lot of feelings going into this one. Yeah, but I will talk about them on the back end. Anyways, listen to this. This is one of my favorite episodes that we ever did, and... Uh, Yeah, I'll have more to say on the flip side. Let's play a game for a minute. Oh yeah, we will debate the best Star Trek writers. Oh yeah, never mind, I win. I named Peter Allen Fields. Oh yeah, it's time for white boys talking about the Holocaust. And welcome to the Rolls of Acquisition podcast, where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. And this time, we could all honestly maybe say that this is the best television. Best television show ever. Yeah. This is probably the best episode of TV that aired in 1994 or 1993. Maybe. But, well, I don't need to start blowing this episode's horn immediately. (laughs) There's some things. But, yes, we're talking about the penultimate episode of season one, which is called Duet. Yes, it's called Duet. Duet. It aired on June 13th, 1993. Uh, I'm going to forego IMDb's short description because, and I'm going to go straight to what IMDb calls a storyline. It's a little bit longer, a little bit more in depth, because I think this week's episode deserves a better description. Mm-hmm. Amin Maritza, a Cardassian suffering from Kala Nora, turns to DS9 for medical attention. Major Kira Norris immediately recognizes the disease. He could only have contracted it when an accident occurred in the labor camp Galatep on Bajor during the Cardassian occupation. Kira herself helped liberate the camp, and she knows of the atrocities camp commander Gull Darheel committed. She is determined to convict Maritza for war crimes. The Cardassian first denies having Kalonora, then claims he was only a filing clerk. With Bajor wanting to convict him and Cardassia wanting his release, Sisko faces a tough decision. Then photographic evidence arrives. Okay, I think for the sake of our conversation, we should go from there real quick on what happened in the plot so we can unpack things at our leisure. Right. After the photographic evidence arrives, everybody on Deep Space Nine, especially Major Kira, mm-hmm. it's, the photographic evidence proves that this Cardassian was, in fact, the uh, goal in charge of the camp. Dar- yeah, what's his name? Mm-hmm. Darheel. Darheel. Darheel, that's right. Proves that he's Darheel. And so then Odo, some, so something doesn't seem right to Odo. Odo double checks the evidence and it turns out that the person that they're holding actually had facial reconstruction surgery to look like Darheel mm-hmm. goal and is in fact the file clerk that's like another twist it is the file <laughs> clerk the file clerk's motivation is psych. yeah big psych yeah. <laughs> uh, the file clerk was at the labor camp heard and witnessed all the atrocities that happened in the labor camp felt so guilt ridden by it that he put on an elaborate scheme and allowed himself to be caught mm-hmm. so he could bring Cardassia so he could be put up for war crimes so Cardassia could be held a Accountable, right? Yeah, it could get some closure. To get some closure. Right. They'd have to accept what they did. Right. Bajor would get closure and Cardassia would have sort of a light, you know, daylight shined on their atrocities. Right. And that's the only way forward that healing could happen. And that was sort of what he put upon himself to sort of manipulate. Right. So it twists and turns mm-hmm. throughout and rather well, too. Don't you guys oh, think? Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. Really effective. We finally get a Spoonhead episode, right? We get a Spoonhead episode. Yeah, right. And it's... Uh, is it wrong to use a racial slur like that at the beginning? Because this is so serious. Let's check our privilege for this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Spoonhead is not the preferred nomenclature. Yeah. Harris Euland is the actor who plays Maritza. And, uh, damn. Oh. Um, he was fantastic. Yes. Oh, man. And he's still working. He's in stuff. He's he's in that NBC show Blacklist. He's uh, he's on stuff. He's uh, he's a still working actor. He's kind of like who you get if you want rip torn, but a little more serious and sober like, <laughs> and sober. <laughs> yeah, not not uh, certifiably insane. Yeah, yeah. So if you kind of want a rip torn like person actor, but maybe better, you get Harris Eulin. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good in this. Yeah. But at the beginning of it, we have just Kira and Dax doing some dumb talk about their childhoods. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not as good. Well, <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. It's not bad. I'm going to say that I really looked. And I, I actually, over the last week, I've watched this episode three times. Yeah. And I really looked. Uh, none of Visitor's amazing in this. I, I really think so. I, I think she's beyond good. I think yeah. that there's two scenes where early season not a visitor would have been really really tough but she conveyed power without looking like she was demanding power i think that she uh the pain and like the sort of personal vengeance and all this all that sort of chaotic shit she's supposed to be feeling she found a way to internalize that and not indicate that and it was a uh, it really worked for me and i think that she in the scenes with harris Eulen, she's ever been as good as harris Eulen. So, I mean, maybe at the end, in the little reveal at the end where the, we didn't talk about it, but a Bajoran as sort of Maritza is being acquitted of all of his suspicions and they're sort of marching him out, a Bajoran on the ship stabs him in the back. Right, right. And I think that scene is, comes off maybe as a little, a little more TV than the rest of the show you were watching. Right. Yeah, but it's still pretty good it's good it's good and it's so satisfying and I, it, these are minor nitpicks yeah yeah um but i mean he dies but it's not the satisfying death that he was looking for with the trial it's more just like a sort of a sad death that maybe shows kira that her sort of vengeance towards cardassia towards all cardassians is not is a, is a problem in herself and that's something right so yeah the cardassian dynamics in this one are all pretty good because they're they've been hey they're the bad yeah. guys mm-hmm. exactly that's been their role for the whole thing but it shows this show was like you know and one thing that we can say that's best about this show is that it affects the next episode the next season the events of this episode changes how we view kira how kira views cardassians and how we sort of view cardassians right right because they're not yeah they're so complicated and their emotions and their honor struggles are so intricate that they're fascinating right like they're not just villains you've had cardassians set up before even in the next generation mm-hmm. episode with the card yeah where he's the lights or whatever there are four lights yeah there are Four lights. Four lights. But, you know, they're still pretty bad in that, but they do establish that Cardassians really care about their families a whole lot. Uh huh. And, and the Empire of the Cardassian Empire. Yeah. And the Empire. They're just, yeah, they're really proud people, you know, mm-hmm. same way that Americans are proud of our country. And, yes. And Russians too, I guess. Probably more so. I mean, probably. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this is, this particular episode highlights some strengths to Deep Space Nine and it actually shows what makes this particular show in the Star Trek Cantheon unique. This episode couldn't have happened on any other episode. I think that you could take some plots of some of Voyager, Next Generation, Enterprise, mm-hmm. all, you know, the original series they're kind of interchangeable any one of them could meet a space god and make it angry or have some weird virus come on the ship Mm -hmm. this is a unique to just this series because the characters it shows the world that they're living in and they're not moving on they are in this shit (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Everybody has to deal with it. They just can't. It's not a tidy thing at the end. They're going to have to still deal with the pain of being a survivor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and like, you've had like Klingons were kind of the big bad for a lot of stuff. And they're like the main. But at the same time, I don't know. You could still have Klingons one episode. and The next episode, the bad aliens are going to be something else. And it just mm-hmm. drops in and out. Whereas with Deep Space Nine, it's the Cardassians all time are kind of. But they sit with it the whole time. And also Klingons are just space orcs, basically. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. To transpose the fantasy. You know, I play D&D sometimes. Yeah. But the Cardassians are a little bit more complicated. I mean, Klingons get complicated, too. But they have a I mean, they have a clear different kind of perspective. They're a distinctly 20th century sort of thing. Right. Where, I mean, Klingons or Cardassians? What are you talking? Cardassians. 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 Okay. There are 20. I mean, there are. Are, uh, you know, sort of a mishmash of Germ- of World War era Germany. Right. And some of the sort of communist authoritarian regimes that followed and fascism. Uh, I was thinking like the torture of Picard and the, right. the right. chain of command episode. Secret police type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Se- secret police and 
and this sort of dignity of the empire and this sort of authoritarian rule. But if you scratch beneath the surface, everybody is scared. Everybody is that, you know, sort of like that Politburo of, you know, so all of these sort of big bads of Russia, including some American instincts, I I do think are mixed in with the Cardassians. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, that's what's interesting because Klingons came up and Klingons were very much Russia. And Klingon, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways, because it was Klingons and all that shit was before the Cold War ended. Cardassians mm-hmm. came about after the Berlin Wall and you know, everything. With some perspective on the whole matter. Yeah. Pers- mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's and it brings up the whole kind of Star Trek utopian ideology. It's the Federation's all about peace and, you know, they've made peace with the Cardassians. And so they're not at war. That's But then it, it brings it up with these questions like, okay... We're at peace, but how does peace work when your enemies, you're, you've made peace with them, but your enemies are still dicks? Yeah. <laughs> you know? The Cardassians, they have, there are good Cardassians and there's bad Cardassians, but you can see their perspective. But at the same time, you know, like, Gold Dukat is still kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. And all the other, you know, and you still have, like, the remnants of the KGB, basically, are writing things in Cardassia behind the scenes. And you get that a lot more in later episodes and down seasons and stuff. But it brings up, okay, well, yeah, we we have peace in the universe or whatever. But at the same time, these people are, didn't change. So how do you yeah. how do you manage those political structures when you're ostensibly friends with these people, but they're still kind of shady? Emotional and political. Evolution, political evolution and social evolution can only happen if everyone evolves. Right. You know, if you have these this sort of reactionary group that's like, no, fuck it, we're going to play by the old rules, then you can evolve. Or, you know, that's sort of the, the pacifist's sort of struggle is this idea is that you can, a country can rise up and say, we're going to be pacifist, but that doesn't stop their neighbors. Right. right. And, and you don't have a state if you can't. And so there's this whole idea of the Federation brushing up against a 20th century empire, essentially, mm-hmm. in Cardassians. And, and with the Bajorans, I mean, you know, we're going to probably unpack it more, but this is very clearly a post-World War II analog. sort of Germany and the, uh, and the Jews analog here. To the point where, I mean, the script is, I think I sent you guys some stuff this morning, the, the script was pretty heavily influenced by a movie called The Man in the Glass Booth, yeah, which was written by Robert Shaw from uh, Jaws, the actor in Jaws, <laughs> and the guy who played uh, Henry VIII in Man for All Seasons. And Darth Vader with his mask off. Oh, yes, he was... That's Sebastian Shaw. Oh, I'm getting my Shaws confused. <laughs> you get your Shaws crossed. No, but Robert and Sh- Bernard Shaw, right? <laughs> <and> <laughs> man or Superman? Right, and that's wait, right. No, no, no. Never mind. Yeah, no. <laughs> and Pygmalion. And Pygmalion. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wrong Shaw. Oh, okay. So this was and written- the Shaw brothers make her a fine kung fu film. <laughs> <laughs> But I I think it's worth saying that this screenplay was written by Peter Allen Fields, who earlier this season wrote Move Along Home and Progress. Oh, boy. (laughs) Not Move Along Home. I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, oh my God. I I misspoke. Dax and Progress. He wrote Progress. Okay. We talked about him in Progress, and he he wrote Dax. Wow, Move Along Home guy really redeemed himself. No no. joke. Oh, no. No, there's no redeeming that. So he wrote the the Long Black Veil episode with Dax? Yeah, with DC Fontana. Ah. And he wrote this. This is all at the end of his career. He didn't do much after this. Later on in what before, and I think I brought this up in progress, he wrote The Inner Light, the episode about Picard and the flute. Oh, right, right. Oh, that's one of my in, favorites. Uh, Next Generation. Yeah, I know. It's, it's So he so you take Inner Light, this episode later on in season six of Deep Space Nine, he wrote In the Pale Moonlight. Or Yeah, he wrote In the Pale Moonlight, which is most uh, on most lists, number one and number two of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine is, is this episode and In the Pale Moonlight. So Peter Allen Fields. He's like the Nicholas Meyer yeah. of DS9 <laughs> yeah. the guy that did Khan in uh, Undiscovered Country yeah you know you're talking about on most people's probably if they have an objective list or a good list I think their top 10 episodes three of them are written by this one writer who only wrote like 13 episodes of Star Trek in general hmm. you know both this and the Dax episode lift heavily from real life where it, they're not mm-hmm. terribly concerned with the science fiction aspect of the show. And that's interesting to me that whenever that happens, we get some of our best episodes. I don't know exactly what that means. And apparently they're also actually draw heavily from pre-existing works, scripts and Mm -hmm. works. So, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Steal. They're stealing. They're stealing, but they're making it their own. Right. Right. Yeah. 
repurposing. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine. I'm, I just don't know what it means for, for Star Trek, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, it, it means that they're focusing on characters and not focusing on space puzzles. That's Yeah, I guess... Or Alien of the Week stories. Yeah, I mean, like, all the best Star Trek has been homages to, you know, like, Khan has got a bunch of Moby Dick stuff in it. And Undiscovered Country is all fucking Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Shakespeare and it's also Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah. lots of stuff. Yeah, it's it's lots of good stuff. So, And this episode is absolutely no different. They actually, it's surprising how much stuff they get into in these conversations between Maritza and Kira. I guess I want to get into this. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a little nervous. I'm, 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 <laughs> right. I think we, we're all we're all kind of white dudes, right? <laughs> from at least culturally Christian backgrounds in America. So we'll say that before we before we go any further. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Not practicing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I go to a church in a bar sometimes. But yeah, we all come from a you know yeah, from yeah. a culturally Christian right, right. background in America. Bible Belt. Yeah, Bible Belt. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, okay. So we can't buy beer on Sunday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, we grew up in places you can, yeah. So uh, let's let's voyage into this. Um, one of the things that I think I like about this episode is that it borrows heavily, I said, from this movie, The Man in the Glass Booth, which is on Amazon. I just watched like 20, 30 minutes of it today, just skipping around and just to see how it sort of borrows. So what's what's that movie about? It's about this. Um, it's about a Jewish, <laughs> it's about this, uh, a man who claims to be a Holocaust survivor who becomes a successful businessman in America, in New York. Is take taken taken prisoner by the Mossad and taken to Israel and put on trial as being one of the escaped Nazi German war criminals who assumed a Jewish identity. And over the course of the trial, uh, I don't want to ruin much of the movie, but very similar things happen. Of whether this guy is a Jew a Jewish person who was a victim of the Holocaust, uh, a survivor of the Holocaust, was he a perpetrator of the Holocaust, or why would he? And he does while he's on trial, he fully says he was a perpetrator of the Holocaust. He gives a vigorous defense of who he is as a SS officer. And one of these uh, labor camp or, you know, concentration camp hey, supervisors. Go, go ahead. Go ahead and ruin the movie. <laughs> this isn't the fucking Glass Booth podcast. We owe, we owe nobody <laughs> any spoilers. Out. Well, it turns out that he, from what I can tell, and I, like I said, I watched 20 minutes. From what I can tell, it turns out that he was a, a survivor of the concentration camp who came to America. And when he was accused of being this Nazi, he took the opportunity to give the Jewish people a closure. It's uh, closure. Okay. But it never got in World War II. Okay, so... And I think one of the things that really borrows from is the the actual real life trial of Adolf Eichmann, who is famously written up in America by Hannah Arendt for The New Yorker, collected in Eichmann in Jerusalem. And one of the things that she talks about about the trial is that, and I think this is definitely in this episode, and it's probably the most interesting sort of emotional strand of this episode, is that after the Holocaust, Jewish people all over the world had a, had a really intense anger. Understandable. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But the anger was backed by some sort of like shame hmm. about not fighting. And this is what like the sticky stuff I wanted to get into, like like a shame about not fighting back, about the docility of what happened in the concentration camps. And Hannah Arendt talks about that a lot in Eichmann in Jerusalem and about how after the war, there was sort of an intensity to Simon Wiesenthal and the Israeli government for finding Nazis and sort of a, a determination to fix the problem themselves and to find these people to go into with Eichmann. They went into Argentina and took him really without a lot of approval. Mm-hmm. They they tried Adolf Eichmann without a large necessary international law agreement that they had the right to because mm-hmm. he, he didn't he didn't commit crimes in Israel. Right. You know, so there's lots of sort of things about that. But what of it, well, none of it was answering back, but it was about answering back to the the docility of of what happened in the concentration camps. Now, if you want to look at it, it's not a condemnation of America, or not. Uh, it's not a condemnation of the Jewish people, right? Because there were Rom- there were Romanians who died in the concentration camps and didn't fight back. There were European homosexuals in the concentration camps that didn't fight back in big number it's it's sort of a sort of a fact of human nature yeah you you're gonna be like oh my god what i could have why didn't i do more that's yeah exactly exactly and you put yourself in that survival of the moment and you make these decisions well i think that was one of the things that maritza maritza when he was full goldar heel in the episode was putting on kira is that you would have liked this to been a war is what he said right but it's not a war 
get you gave up and we you let us do this to you and i think that that is a, a part of maritza's shame of like being a part of it and like being a part of the cardassians while they were doing this and i and i know that that's like an issue with like the british empire and fighting in india during the sort of partitioning of india and gandhi that they were like the british were like why are you letting us do this to you <laughs> why you know why don't you fight back why don't you fight back and it there's it brings shame on the torturer as because the, the, there's something that doesn't sit right. So it's something about the, the conversation of brushing on that on a Star Trek episode and the intensity of that and how well it was sort of done was so exciting and thrilling. And you see sort of this is what science fiction is about. It's about taking us out of when because when we're talking about Jews and Germans and stuff like that, it's really fraught with history and emotion and attachments and prejudices. But when you talk about, you know, two space aliens with weird shit on their faces, <laughs> like you get some removal right, from right. like from all of that shit. So you can just watch two people with funny noses mm-hmm. talk <laughs> about like the Holocaust in a way without attachment. And that's sort of what what's so thrilling and exciting about this is that you get to watch that sort of history of human history unpacked in science fiction. It's what science fiction offers us is some distance and perspective on how to talk right. about these things. I, and it was just so, it's so thrilling to watch. At, at the same time, I don't think that I think that there's something mm. about it that isn't when it's done. It's still it, it, it just because it's science fiction doesn't mean it always works. Uh-huh. And I'm going to give you an example. Recently, I got into the last part of Enterprise. Oh yeah, where they do all the post 9/11 stuff, and we get 9/11 analogs. Earth is attacked. Mm. Nobody knows exactly why. They can't understand the motivation of their unseen aggressors. Everybody has this righteous anger. Everybody Everybody lost somebody. There's a lot of mm-hmm. impotent rage. It's just not just because it happened in space and it's science fiction. It still wasn't. It's still not handled very well in that particular episode. Right. Well, it's probably no. a little too soon. I bet I haven't seen Enterprise past like half of the pilot, or I guess. But it's well, like, and that's exactly what I was going to ask. Do you mm-hmm. guys think that the fact that we didn't live through the Holocaust makes this episode more like? Do you think you could be a Holocaust survivor and, and enjoy this episode of Star Trek? <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> no, I didn't, maybe probably not. Probably not. You're right. <laughs> it would be too too much, man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's what I wanted to address we think this is a great episode (laughs) because it happened you know 40 years before we were born but i don't think yeah i don't think that if we live through it no matter how much science fiction uh you know by putting some silly putty on somebody's head it it doesn't remove you entirely Like, what a, okay, okay. Well, I would say that I probably, I don't, I could definitely, I'm confident in saying a Holocaust survivor would have not liked watching this in like the 50s. I, I think in 1993, it is, it is too, I don't but, know if a Holocaust survivor would, would enjoy this particular episode. I think we have the benefit of, of a generation removed and we can say, Look how powerful this this particular episode is. Probably, so I, probably. I think there yeah. are limits to science fiction and its ability to take us out of everyday life. And I think that the Enterprise episode is an interesting case in that. And I think this maybe if you're a different audience member. I mean, I wouldn't put it past somebody to enjoy this. I just wouldn't I wouldn't insist that they do like I, I totally think that you could if you were came from that, that you could yeah, watch yeah. this and relate to it. But, you know, I just wouldn't I wouldn't subject to somebody to this if they weren't ready to it, if they had actually gone through that. Yeah. Can you thing. imagine just like not not having the TV guide or anything and just right. Just sitting down <laughs> and, you know, you're just going to watch Star Trek. But there are people that are strong enough that would to have, have watched this and who went through that to and really accept it. But you know what? Like, you know, it's like, I'm yeah. It, well, yeah. OK, so uh, first off, I get what you're saying. And I really do. I think you have a point. I think it's the it's a faulty comparison with the third season of Enterprise. We were we've been watching it together off podcast. Why is it a faulty comparison? Because I think for... it's, I think it's awful because it's awful. <laughs> it's objectively awful. I don't think it's done well. I think it was done for I think just just on art they're not really? comparable. So I think that the third season of nine, uh, the third season of nine eleven, <laughs> the third season of Enterprise is awful. And I, I've just recently watched all of it, and it's it's a show killer. And it's not all. Is just it not, awful because 
that couldn't have been done well? Like, is it possible that it's just too soon? You just need distance to be able to figure out how to do it. Yeah, well? I don't think they had. A, I mean, I think that nine eleven got rewrote at least three times over the last fifteen right. years. There, yeah, and it was probably just sensationalist. TV, yeah, doing what TV does badly, and yeah, so I mean, like, and reacting and overreacting. I think that there was this pressure that Star Trek has always been in the moment and always had a social voice, and that it needed like 9 11 happened, and this show was on the air, and they're like, Well, we have to address it because that's who we are as a franchise, where we make and even from like a, even from a less moral pocketbook, like television was moving that way, right? And they pro in that we, we know the enterprise was was a show born in fighting for its survival. It never had a comfortable season. Right, right. Yeah, they were, they got thrown, tossed by the waves of what was going on in TV a lot harder than other shows. And they were actually had to answer to a network instead of just doing it in syndication yeah. like the other ones. Right. So I think it was but even... But we're not talking about Enterprise. This is a DS9 show. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I, I think that there were things in it that made it more of a cash grab and it felt like it was trying to cash in on the moment. I don't think in 1993 Paramount was like, we need to get some of that Holocaust when money. Was Schindler's List? <laughs> when did Schindler's, Schindler's List come out? It was a after, about, a, about a year after this. When did the book come out? Oh, I don't know. Well, well, I don't get the fit. Who reads? Yeah, but, but that wasn't taking over the this world. TV, though. man. This ain't about reading. And what year did Mouse win the Pulitzer Prize? 89. Okay. So I'm just saying literature. Oh, there's been a, there's a, there's a long history. Of I understand Holocaust. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, Holocaust, the Holocaust has been popular uh, as, as a work of, you know, as, as a place of, but, you yeah, know, people have needed yeah. to explore that for a while for a lot of different reasons. I think that while I enjoyed this episode, I think the fact that I had the benefit of being in the time period that I did greatly helped my enjoyment of it. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, that goes without saying, I think. Maybe if, you know, we're, we were coming at it from not survivors, but people who, I mean, could you imagine being a young American GI who liberated the camp and then watch, you know, you're 70 years old and you click on the TV and you see Kira Norris talking about liberating camps and, you know, would it feel a little bit gross? Well, yeah, but you've had like 40 years of that. So you've seen that kind of stuff before, too. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not not to. I'm, now I'm uncomfortable because I don't want to downplay anything. <laughs> well, because like Har Harvey Kurtzman's war comics, a big thing that he didn't like that a whole generation of John Wayne movies were glorifying World War Two. You know, he was in the army and he was of that generation that fought World War Two. And he was going to tell real stories about the horrors of war. He wasn't going to sugarcoat it for the 1950s masses. Sure, sure. And so I know that people from that that era have resented how it's been depicted in popular culture. So I'm just wondering, this is a great episode. Of well, but you don't think this is... No, I think this is a great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. I like this episode. Probably my top five, maybe of Star Trek. Yeah. However, I'm trying to look at it outside of myself a little bit. Okay. And see, <laughs> and wondering if it's gross on some level. Okay, well, let me ask, I mean, just because, like, I'm trying to, like, do you think that maybe there's an element of this that can be seen as exploitative? I don't know. That's what, I don't know. I don't buy it. I feel like there's already, there's been such a tradition of talking about those themes and everything that I don't think it's, and it's not saying... If it were saying it makes such a nuanced view of both sides, you know, like it's not like there's the bad. It's not like Schindler's List where you come out thinking, oh, oh, yeah, you know what? I do agree. Nazis were pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. We all agree on that. Yeah. This is, you know, this is more nuanced than that in a lot of ways. The Nazi analog is kind of a, a sympathetic character by the end of the episode. Right. So, um, yeah, like because he's looked at somebody who is human, it humanizes yeah. him because he has guilt mm -hmm. and that he wants to make himself he wants to sacrifice himself for something bigger than mm -hmm. himself. Yeah, it's it's all very interesting and it makes for a great Star Trek episode. But I'm just wondering, like in the moment, Monday morning quarterbacking my own feelings about it. I don't have an answer. I'm just wondering. Yeah. You know, if I didn't see this episode of Enterprise and felt so gross, like I had to take a shower after watching the 9-11 Enterprise episodes. Right, right. But I think James's point, I think his point is stands like one enterprise was shitty <laughs> it was done not so good this is done well maybe because they had you know one they had a lot of time and two you already had seen other versions of this done well even from the movie that this pulls heavily from yeah. you know so it's 
It's not like it has to figure out how to do it right. It's already been established that there's a lot of good literature that it deals with these themes and whatever. Whereas, you know, I mean, I almost give Enterprise some slack for that was so re- near and so raw. It's really a lot harder to know how to do it right because you haven't had people fuck up and do it wrong and to do it right and know how to see from other art, yeah. see the better way to do it. Like, for instance, right now, I mean, if Brian Fuller came out and said that the next season of Star Trek, that one he's doing for C- CBS. It's going to unpack 9-11. My first reaction would be like, ugh. Uh. <laughs> but I could probably get behind it. It's not a deal breaker for me. And I, and I think that whatever he would do would probably be a more more nuanced. <laughs> yeah. I was in a piece of art exploring themes from 9-11 in around 2004 yeah. when I was in a play called Terrotica where I was running around naked in a demon mask made out of a cow skull and, and grabbing other naked women and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> so, you know, right. that was around the time of Enterprise, I guess. I'm not going to say it was a good 9-11 <laughs> um, exploration, but the director really wanted to uh, explore something about fear and arousal and things that he'd went through because he was in the city when it happened. Yeah. <laughs> Just, man, art's tricky, man. Yeah. I, don't yeah. know. I was trying to think of all of this. And those. at the same time, it was very, it was one of the most artistically fulfilling things that I did for me. I think a good, a good way to sum up this episode is art's tricky, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. that's true. And I think that's what makes this 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 episode is a bit of a wonder because it was done so well. It was so it came out of left field too of how good it is. I mean, you think about like the piece of shit episode we had before this. Yeah. I mean, I almost <laughs> think that this was the moment because we've been talking all season about this first season sucks, you know, in general. And when did this show become the show that we that I remember from watching and loving? And when did it sh- become this? And it seems like this because, you know, the next episode and leads into a lot of things. So I think that this may be the turning point that we were looking for, because because we kept saying, when are they going to realize all the stuff they have to work with that we know they do work with? Right. Cardassians and, and well, Bajorans. Let me ask you this, guys. We always talk about the downfall of season one of Star Trek Deep Space Nine is the fact that they had to cram 24 episodes. Yeah. If we're making, you know, one of our favorite games is making your white album where you make, you take all the white album, you pare it down to 12 tracks. 12 songs, yeah. If, yeah. What is your first, if you're going to make a 12 episodes of Deep Space Nine for season one, this one obviously makes a list, but where do you put it? You would, Where do you put it in the series? Do we want to save this for the season finale? Would this be this? Or do we want to do it right now? The season finale is pretty interesting, too. The one we're doing next yeah. week. So but it's next week. Yeah. So, but I mean, we could do it right now, too. I don't but know. I mean, if you watch this at, at <laughs> If you did this at number like four, you'd really have your meat hooks in the people. You would. You would. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, th- that's true. Like, oh, so you're making like you're not having to deal with pre-existing episodes. No, I'm just saying like take the episodes out. We of, cut out all the shit and then we take out Babel. We build a perfect short season. Right. If I build it to 10 episodes or 12 episodes, then episodes like the storyteller are going to make the cut. But you don't want the storyteller to come right after this. Like, no. So you, I would. Yeah. I would do the storyteller before this one because that deals with the profits and shit. Too. Yeah, yeah. This one, I think this one and then the next one. is a good 9-10. Will prop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or whatever. Like it's a penultimate and finale. Right. Right, right. Yeah, because the penultimates are always the best ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this was. Yeah, this is this is the best. God, this is this is an amazing episode. One more thing that I wanted to talk about in comparing this to sort of the Adolf Eichmann is that a lot of the things that, that sort of surround Adolf Eichmann is like when he got to trial after, in 63, I believe was his trial, you know, and there was a sense that like, you know, the Jewish people were really ready, specifically Israel was really ready to get some closure here. And when he was on the stand, he was so incredibly boring and how he talked about the crimes and how he talked about everything was really boring. And Hannah Arendt famously called it the banality of evil. Mm hmm. I've heard that term before. Yeah. And he actually coined it for Eichmann. Mm -hmm. And um, he there's something about that he kept saying he was just a file clerk. He was there to make, to lead to sort of efficiencies, to make these sort of efficient, to get these, th- this many people into a train, to move it here and to get their bot. You know, it was all just a numbers game to him. And he was a clerk that was devising a, an efficient system and that he was following orders. And that if he refused, then, you know, so he was, so even in the end, it was just a file clerk. There was, he denied them a sense that he was an arch villain, which I think is that maybe this sense that they 
they were wanting. And he wasn't going to give us that. And I think they play with that in this episode with Maritza being just a file clerk. Right. But right, then right. when he assumes the mantle of Goldar Heel, he becomes a scenery chewing villain, you know, and I did it for Cardassia and all of this sort of stuff. He's trying to be what Kira wants to kill. Right, but it's also such an interesting performance because part of it is him taking on that persona. You could even see it as part of him taking on that persona to push out the coward Maritza and try to teach him, you know, by getting into character. Mm -hmm. He has these motives for it, but he's trying to, no, I'm going to get in the mind of Goldar Hill and no, I, I was doing it for good and I was a good man and everybody, everybody clean. was clean. They were clean. I, yeah. I was the one behind it and everyone else was clean. Yeah. They were clean because I said so. Yeah. He's trying to cleanse himself, Maritza, of that by saying, no, it was all Goldar Hill. Yeah. And by him being the guy, being the bad guy, he's trying to even clean his own sins of, you know, not. Yeah doing anything and crying under his bunk like a coward like he did there oh, that was oh that was good when that break when that break came and you finally realized it all oh my god were these because like, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, so was weak he was so weak and i was like oh my mm -hmm. god that's yeah yeah i mean this it's this one had me tearing up a little it bit was, uh, it was guys what do you think you guys want to get into the part of the show where what we would change i know that both of us all of us are going to be pretty much lightweights on this but, I, I mean yeah. i have i have one or two little nitpicky things okay. i mean even before that i want to say just the way this episode was shot was different because it is all tried to pay attention mm -hmm. to that because I didn't know what I was going to complain about this episode because <laughs> it's pretty good. It's yeah. like, well, just the way that they because, you know, it's all wide shots for the most. Well, I mean, except, mm -hmm. well, it's not at all, actually. So much of this episode is just close up, just shot, reverse shot, straight close up shots, mm -hmm. reverse shot of not even body. It's just it's just Maritza's face. And then you know, cut to Kira's face. It's just back and forth. You don't see her torso or anything. Mm -hmm. Dax is a little she doesn't do enough to be awful in this but it's yeah. um they're trying it's like oh are they trying to get the sp her being spock and she doesn't really pull it off very well but it's fine and then there's a scene with kira and dax she knows how to use photoshop right <laughs> well yeah she, when the the first scene they're like I was a champion rock thrower and Kira was like, which child of you? Cause they're talking about their childhoods or something. Mm -hmm. And then Dax has this stupid take to the camera. It's bad, but whatever, you know, you look down, you miss it. It's not the worst thing. It's fine. I just didn't <laughs> like it. And then there's a scene where Kira's looking out the window where the wormhole is. It's like, Oh, that's why they threw Dax in the beginning. So they could have Dax walk up behind her. Cause they're trying to establish that they're buddies. And Dax is like, are you doing this for you? Or are you just doing this to, get closure or are you doing this for the people or whatever and it's an interesting shot too because they have extras walking in front of the camera Every, you know it's between them but they keep having people walk in frame past them and stuff it's it's a nerd but the bulk of this episode is just close-up shots of Maritza's head and then Kira's head back and forth and it makes sense because the acting is actually so good and all of this yeah. that you want to show those people emoting Kira has a weird thing sometimes where she just kind of shakes her head like he'll tell you about it shake and then whatever <laughs> but you know yeah that's you know we all have our things that's her thing i'm not enough i'm like a throw stones there but yeah <laughs> that was interesting to me just how they shot it but then yeah we can get into what would we change do y'all have anything uh i got a couple i guess little things nitpicky things yeah they're all gonna be little uh, yeah okay so like there's a scene that i felt there's two scenes i felt shoehorned and a performance i felt was weak and a ma i guess in a major performance but two things i felt was shoehorned was there's this weird scene where odo leaves his office and there's the victims of the mining incident oh yeah they've all got are their faces fucked up or something i don't yeah, know i don't i don't know because it doesn't tell us yeah. like it's literally like a half a second and i'm and then it's just i, I felt like it was just shoehorned in to get a quark scene yeah and in this episode that they didn't then need. he comes in later and hands her some blue carousel to drink to calm her down yeah marushan sea veil but uh, but no. he has this, this sort of joke about that's awful what they've suffered do you think they'll gamble oh the quark that that actually liked quark's joke no i liked it I, it was fine but i like what was the point of that scene there was another uh they shoehorned in o'brien's bajoran oh his lackey came back in yeah is Lackey came in? It's because she, they're trying to set her up for next episode. Oh. I don't know if you've watched the next episode yet. I haven't. Yeah, they're trying to set her up for that. So I felt like that was like a little bit of overarching business that I was kind of like, this episode is so good that I don't want the distraction. But when you're building a big show like this, I, I appreciate the effort. Yeah, yeah. But I think the guy who stabbed him, his performance was so broad and crappy. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> that that I felt like and the one scene he's in it doesn't seem like a you know because in the first scene you see him he's in between uh, Harris Eulin and, and Cisco right and I'm like Ugh. I mean he's a small wiry guy yeah. he doesn't read as like your typical bigot quite as much yeah. which maybe for if a character just such a small part that's kind of come in and replace so broadly just like get somebody that's going to read as that character he doesn't have time to fix it to give us a masterful performance yeah maybe if he was awesome and like of Jonathan Banks or something he could have pulled it off but he's he's not yeah he didn't have a lot to do but I mean at the end that was really important like he stabs him and she goes why did you do that this wasn't Gold our heel and he goes it doesn't matter he was Cardassian that's a powerful line and it shows that this that there is let's say racial hatred right. on the part of the Bajorans right. towards the Cardassians and right. it opens she, up and I mean it mirrors at the very beginning of the episode exactly. what she does mm-hmm. to him when she sees him immediately she thinks mm-hmm. this person has Kalinor or whatever and mm-hmm. oh it must be a Bajoran and as soon as it's a Cardassian she's like all right put him in the brig yeah yeah he's definitely a war, yeah a war criminal just for being there mm-hmm. and so I just wish that that moment not that it, I don't think it read false but I think it was like a B minus moment in a A plus episode right it's a missed opportunity they could have worked it yeah they could have worked it up yeah. so yeah so that's my only thing and that that's really like I don't I think on paper this is an amazing episode I think the, the key performances are the best so yeah yeah, yeah. That's it. Hugh, you have anything? My only thing is that Goldicott's so great. Yeah. That he is great. It, it, that, that <laughs> they could have, after that first phone call that Odo makes, Goldicott could have said, release him or I'm coming to I'm coming to DS9. And the second conversation could have happened face to face. It would have been nice to have him you know, not on the screen. Yeah. It would have ratcheted up the tension a little bit more to have him physically there having that conversation. Because he does some nice stuff. Act, he makes some nice choices. The actor makes some nice choices when he realizes what's going on right. with his face yeah, and he, yeah there's like an inner there's an inner conflict that w- could have been like i like like james said i think having him come be a physical presence on the station now you've got two cardassians mm-hmm. here and maybe it could have just made things a little bit more intense ratcheted up the drama right there at the end right that's it that's all i have yeah because i mean gold is he's pretty much a black hat but he's but you understand oh he's the greatest black hat though but he's likable you can see his perspective uh-huh. and he's you know and it goes back into like he's a good Cardassian he's just trying to do the best for his people they're kind of dicks but like at the same time he's like you have one of our people he doesn't know who this guy is but he's like no you have to return him because he's just doing the best thing for his people kind of thing right yeah it just happens he's kind of an asshole he has the best neck of all the Cardassians too. I'll just say that. Oh yes, yeah. Mark Alimo is the actor's name. And God, he's amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely, I definitely think that that that's my only little thing. I think that would have been a, it could have been an added element to. Oh, the, oh like, to it, the, right, oh, that's yeah. a good, like imagine like that last scene that's in Cisco's office where they're all like, "Why would this guy be lying? Why is he right. here?" Well, you know, all of that stuff. What if Gold Ducat and the minister of Bajor, the other guy on the phone. Yeah. Like if they were both also fixtures in that meeting. Oh, that would have been like, good. And, and like, and Cisco's having to manage these two assholes to get to yeah. the truth. That would be, oh, that would have been great. It was yeah. probably like the line producer couldn't get the actors booked at the same time. And right, yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe, they had to yeah. just shoot it. I'm sure. But, you know, that, like, but, the, that would have been the, great. Put yourself in Marco Limo's shoes here. Like he's been in two episodes this season. Yeah, the pri- the, three, the I pi- think. Three, okay. So, like, there was the pilot, this, and I don't even remember the third. I think, I mean, he shows up, like, somebody makes a phone call, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, always, he's only on screens. He didn't really show so up So, this person. is a guy. This is a human being who's an actor who's just, like, slowly over the course of time. And, uh, spoiler alert, Gold Ducat is the best character in the world over the course of this whole show. Pretty great, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess, like, he's just at home waiting for a call, like, hoping for another good script. <laughs> he's just... The guy that shows up to play this role twice in a year. This seems like get that actor on the on the on the payroll. You know, like right. <laughs> well, that's because they haven't had enough Cardassian episodes. This they time. haven't. Yeah, Garrick's still only been in one episode. Exactly. But... Yeah, we all we love all the Cardassians. Apparently, we do. God, I love the Cardassians. All right. The thing I would have changed. Okay, here's my big nitpick, and I think this is rather big. They talk about this whole time. They bring up, oh, he's definitely got Calinoir or whatever. Oh, mm-hmm. yep, he's definitely, he's got all the symptoms. 
they never say what the symptoms are. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. It's like, are you just going to let me die without my medicine? It's like, okay, show us what happens when he doesn't take his medicine. Plus, is medicine code for space drugs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do their faces fall off? Is that why the Bajorans all have the shit over scarves over them or whatever? Just let us know. It's easy to do. You wouldn't have to spend a scene doing it. Yeah. Just say, oh, you haven't coughed some. It's probably a black lung type of thing. They even muddy the water by coming up with a second disease, the Patrick syndrome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a little bit much. But the treatment's the same. What's the treatment? Oh, it's space drugs. Like, okay, well, what? Space drugs. What are they treating? Because you can't cure it, obviously. You can only treat the symptoms, apparently. That's what I was even going by is like maybe at the end, because I thought about a lot about like Maritza at the end of this episode. Obviously, he's got some sort of emotional trouble. They just walk him out of Deep Space Nine yeah, without yeah. giving him any security after just calling him Goldar Heel in front of all of Bajor. And then like... And well, then he's like, I don't have any... Yeah, after he exhibited what I would call deeply troubled psychotic behavior. <laughs> or, or, or Not psychotic, but at least deeply troubled mental... Yeah, you know, like he's got some distress. Yeah, they don't have a protocol. <laughs> that was kind of it. Was like, no, they'll take care of you back on that Cardassian planet they're sending him back to. Or freighter, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, you'll be fine. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I don't know. I should die. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to. Yeah. And even he's patriotic for Cardassia. He just realizes yeah. Yeah. that they've been doing evil shit, and he wants them to atone for it. To know. But one of the because th- uh, yeah. your bread and your mainstay Cardassian people would probably have been abhorred by the stuff that they did, maybe. But they won't admit to it. They're like, oh, when he's dark heel, he's like, oh, that's just Bajoran propaganda. It didn't really happen, and to piss mm-hmm. Kira off because she knows it happened. But at the same time, that's what they're selling to the people back home in Cardassia. Yeah, it's the thing that... Probably along the lines of what he said. No, it was a labor camp. It was hard, but most of the deaths were they were killing each other. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But also I was wondering, like, with the Kalinora and at the end, when especially when he was, like, you know, when his sort of mental fragility was shown, I was wondering, are they doing, like... They're not also going to try and throw an AIDS analog on here, too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, God. Well, maybe like, it's better they didn't talk about the symptoms. <laughs> that, yeah. that was, like, that was the one thing I was thinking. It's, like, that he, you know, that he's dying or potentially dying or I, I don't know. So what ends up... He doesn't the, get his cocktail. But, well, this yeah. is a time when this was on, if AIDS was a death sentence anyways. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, you you got to deal with that much more gingerly. So, I was, uh, at first, I was like, oh, they're not doing that, are they? But they don't. And basically, the disease is just a, a, it's a clue. <laughs> Wade, did we lose Wade? We lost Wade for a minute. Uh, this, uh, oh, shit. So, that about covers this week's episode. I think overall, we can all agree that this is the best one that we're going to see all season. And which puts it in the running for the best episode that we're going to see uh, in, over the entire series, don't yeah. you think? No, no, I definitely think so. Yeah, no, I think that this is this is. But I mean, I think that also that's not a like a cause to be sad. This is a pretty high mark, and I think that it it, it makes everything else that comes after it just more satisfying and exciting. So, yeah. Well, thanks for listening this week to the Rules of Acquisition. Yeah. For James and Wade, I'm Hugh, and that is three to beam out. All right. Two to beam out. One got lost in the pattern buffer. <laughs> we had a tra- we had a transporter uh, mishap. Yeah. Wait, wait is lost in the mirror universe podcast. That's right. Well, in the mirror universe podcast, we do this every week with Lane. We're Lane, and we're not politically correct, and we all have goatees. <laughs> yes. Or not. I don't know. I actually have a beard, so I don't know how that would do. Yeah, you would be bald face. I'd have a goatee, and we'd, all, we'd be Donald Trump voters. Yes. <laughs> I went to Walmart today, and I only saw one Donald Trump See, hat. I don't see this. You live in a particularly distressing area. Yeah. It's like it's like dystopian. <laughs> particularly distressing area is a great way to put it. <laughs> and I, I should talk, because we routinely have riots here. But, um, like, no, like, it seems like... I don't, I mean, I don't know. I never see a, I never see a Trump hat anywhere. Oh, I've seen them. Oh, I see them. I see bootleg Trump hats. Like, these old guys don't even buy the on-brand. The font's in a different... Did Wade die? Did he die from Kalinora? Aphasia virus from Wade. Dude, is something wrong? You gotta make sure that... Hey. That... Oh shit! I thought New York City got hit or something. To make sure you didn't, you didn't get nine eleven off the Skype call. (laughs) No, (laughs) were y'all looking up your Google News feeds? Like, oh shit! Is that the the nuclear cloud is interfering with your Wi-Fi? No, just shitty internet. Hey.
three to beam out. Please follow us on Twitter. Hey, everybody. So that was Duet. And yeah, I, in fact, did not get 9-11 or anything else. Oh, man. <laughs> this this episode especially feels different going back to it, for sure. Uh, we recorded this one in 2016, but it was when Trump was still running and it was a thing to laugh at. You know, we talked about Hugh living in the wild and you know what? There was an indication of why things may have gone, but this episode, duet, uh, this is one I kind of dreaded coming back to because I don't really know how to do, I mean, doing our podcast justice is one thing, who cares? It's just three chuckle fucks, you know, talking about stuff. And duet, well, we, we covered about like the seriousness and of that, but it just feels different now because now we have a kind of a resurgence of Nazis that we didn't have before, you know? And and it's weird. It's been weird for me trying to find time to do this. It's weird talking into a box to myself, but to you guys, uh, instead of you know making an appointment to talk with people like like we still do. Go check out the Patreon for plenty of things from James and Hugh and I, and can't Picardly wait with uh, some of my other friends. Anyways, uh, but again, back to this episode. Harris Eulin, man, it's pretty great. We covered that in the show. We know this is an episode where we are pretty uh, pretty positive towards, but we still are able to find minor nitpicks, like with the uh, guy at the end, the murderer, and whatever. Uh, so, I mean, when people lay into us about, like, being too negative about the show like this is an example of like even the best things you can find faults with which again is this is one of the best episodes but we kept the what would i change segment which i, I kind of again i kind of wish we kept that going forward because yeah you can always find stuff and even in the worst things um the way that it complicates the cardies down the line is interesting um peter allen fields we talk about oh man this peter allen fields doing covers <laughs> with the long the black veil episode and this one but in this instance we're down for it i mean i guess that's just you do something a few times and it works and then you just drive it into the ground and uh maybe you need somebody like peter allen fields doing the writing uh doing the covers of oh the man in the glass booth which, you know what, has another Star Trek kind of connection that we didn't touch on in the podcast. Uh, it's a Robert Shaw play, but it was also uh, Leonard Nimoy took over from Donald Pleasance on the theatrical run. So he didn't er initiate the role of the man in the glass booth, but he was the first person to uh, take on that role. If you watch the Spock documentary... Uh, on Netflix, they they touch on it, but uh, yeah, for the love of Spock, this was also another connection to uh, to the whole Star Trek mythos, or not mythos, just you know, it's another connection. Uh, and then we, then we talk about the response of to tragedy in media, with this episode being a pretty thin Holocaust reference. I mean, being based on Man in the Glass Booth and with the camps and everything. And, uh, you know, we, we ask, is it, was it too soon? Do they have, they had enough distance to be able to pull this off? Well, it's like, well, maybe they did, which kind of brings to mind on my part, again, Enterprise, which I never watched. Uh, so people love the 9-11 arc of that show, I guess, but not on this podcast. Uh, James and you were pretty negative on it. I, I, I'm having a hunch that I might lean more in their direction, but... Some people like it, but then also the idea of uh, being a little bit too soon to have enough to be able the Brexit and everything going on with Star Trek Picard also comes to mind, which I am uh, liking that show well enough. Uh, you can listen to Camp Picardly Wait to get you know uh, some pretty firm opinions from me. Also in the uh, latest Patreon bonus, if you want to throw some money at us, uh, I talk about a bit about Picard and the issues it faces with James and Hugh, who haven't watched it. Uh, again, neither here nor there. I'm fitting the plugs into the middle of the thing. 
but then again, Star Trek has always been talking about things in the uh, moment. So it's like, how do you how do you balance that? Well, I don't know. Maybe you have it a little bit more uh, looking forward to something better, you know, uh, aspirational. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. So, but it, yeah, uh, again, this being a night camps. When I was listening to this, re-listening this, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, this is still not like anything. It's still not as bad as anything we have right now. But then I was thinking, oh wait, that's real easy for me to say for as a uh, straight white guy over here with a you know a kid, and I'm pretty. But we actually do have camps now that we didn't quite have when we first covered this episode in 2016. Um, they're not the Galatep labor camps, but they are where people are getting sick and die. And oh man, I don't even need to get into coronavirus. I don't know how that's happening with. All the border shit. We're going to have some dark stories there later, aren't we? Um, But again, I'm uh, editorializing a lot here (laughs) about uh, what going forward when... Let's look back on this again some more. We we get into a lot more specific acting notes in this episode. In this early season one, I noticed. Maybe it's just because... We're learning to these characters and these actors and how they get along. But we, yeah, I mean, specifically to uh, Avery Brooks. But then in this one, we're pretty complimentary to uh, Nana Visitor, who we're still calling Nana at this point. <laughs> but she's great. And this, yeah, this is a masterclass. This this one's, again, oh, this is so great. It's the Chris Farley show over here. Um, art's tricky, man. I don't know. And then we get the the genesis of the White Album. That's that's interesting. A, a thing I never really picked up even in the naming of Goldar Heel. It's like, oh yeah, he does kind of make a heel turn. That's kind of uh, oh, I see what you did with the there with the character name. And it is a pretty because it is a performance, like wrestling turning the heel. You know, it's, wrestling's fake, guys. And so is acting, but, oh, man, but you get the truth. <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, but, yeah, Goldar Hill, Maritza, oh, he does make a heel turn. Uh, ha, 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 look look what they did there. Cisco, <laughs> just a meta commentary when James is talking about, yeah, Cisco's got to manage these two assholes. Um, <laughs> that just made me chuckle for uh, meta reason. But, hey, whatever. <laughs> Figure that out. Um and the idea that Maritza, as a Cardassian, and we've established that the Cardassians are a very um, patriotic people, where they've been black hats, this is a really showing the more complicated things going on in Cardassian society. He's patriotic, but he just wants to see their evil ways and atone for it. And, I mean, that's how I felt, but I... It's, how I really feel about our own country today in a way, you know, in the uh, early seasons here, I was still, uh, you know, hey, I mean, things are pretty good for me, but things have just gotten so dark lately that, I mean, we've all been radicalized. And this is where I'm at, especially with, I, you know, I'm still patriotic. I still love uh, the United States and everything, but I just want people to see all the evil shit and atone for it because that's how we move forward and hey well uh, let's not get on the stump speech here but i mean fuck joe biden right uh sorry yeah yeah i'll get you know ooh, i'm dangerous i'm joe rogan over here but fuck me but yeah anyways don't vote for uh, i mean biden sucks come on his brain's melting he's got kalanora or something i don't know because I don't know what the uh, symptoms of that disease are, if it's a brain disease or what. Uh, sorry. Uh, anyways, okay, what am I doing here? I don't know. <laughs> anyways, uh, right. That's just like me, too. I'm patriotic. I just want us to see our evil shit and atone for it. And, uh, you know, there's ways that we could start doing that, and everybody should get together and do it. And... If you uh, have an idea of what I'm talking about, well, figure it out for yourself. <sighs> and then at the end of this episode, I'm abruptly cut off and uh, we don't know what happened to me. And it's just my internet went out, of course. Yeah, this is a shorter episode for like, this is this is probably the episode of the ROA that I've gone back to and listened to. 
the most just because one duet's one of the best episodes ever and we had a good time with it and where we're talking about i was like when we're talking about these pretty heavy issues and we don't yeah whatever yeah i'm not here to toot my own horn too much but (laughs) yeah we had the mirror universe podcast with lane who if you're a listener to all the kickers of l stuff you realize is it's my brother uh who's been on a disco home companion maybe he'll show up on camp picardly wait so uh there's there's a sort of mirror universe podcast going on right now with except without James and Hugh. Anyways, Trump hats. Um, we, again, we think it's so funny this particularly distressing area that Hugh lives in, and now we all live there. So dystopian. It's so dystopian. If anything, just take care of yourselves, everybody. James was in St. Louis. I think when we recorded this and the fact that he's like, oh, there aren't, he doesn't see any trumpets in St. Louis. I think, uh, I don't know. I haven't been to St. Louis in a while. I mean, it's probably not everybody running around with um, trumpets, but I bet it's not so, un- I bet you wouldn't be taken aback if you saw one nowadays. Uh, yeah. So, hmm, yeah. Take care of yourself, everybody. <laughs> We've come a long way. Uh, I hope you uh, keep listening. I, I, um, I've I, got some ideas about what we might do with these remix stuff going forward, but nothing at all. It's just, it's just nice to check check back in, see where we've been, see where we're growing. You know, try not to get black-pilled. <laughs> I know things can always be worse. <laughs> Anyways, hey, uh, check out the Patreon and for all the other stuff. Uh, we talked about Picard on the Patreon. Pick Camp Picardly Wait. Uh, Avenue 5 is a show that uh, you and I have watched some of. Again, we all cover that on the Patreon. And we've got we've got some big, exciting things for donors, for patrons coming up that not even any of the patrons right now know about. But uh, it should be exciting if you... Uh, chip in, and we've got something uh, coming down the pipeline very soon that we'll be announcing. And do all the things that all the podcasts want you to do. And, you know, have a good one and take care of yourselves. All right. Bye. You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have a hobby that... That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this.